Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast under the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, Michael. A little bit of news came out this afternoon. How are you doing before we hop into that? Well, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm uh, kind of excited about the news. So why don't we jump into that? Yeah, the NHL released the revised schedule for all of your makeup games. And as I look at the Flames in February, we're going to be very busy with game previews and recaps and podcasts. Like, it's just a mess. Calgary's got to make up 10 games. Um, we can go through them game by game or just do them in a block, but... In February, the Flames are making up seven games in 12 days. Uh, your thoughts? Seven games, and they're all at home, and it's going to be good if they can figure out this home cooking thing because uh, they've played so many games on the road. But yeah, to see all seven kind of thrown in a, in a chunk like that, that's uh, it's kind of exciting for a team that's still doing pretty well despite, like I said, having played all those road games. So to go over it really quickly, uh, the Flames game against Vegas that was just uh, postponed on the 15th, that's going to be played on February 9th, followed by February 10th against the Toronto Maple Leafs, followed by February 12th against the Islanders, the 15th against the Blue Jackets, the 16th against the Ducks, the 19th against the Kraken, and the 21st against Winnipeg. That's just February. The December 27th game against Edmonton will be made up on March 7th. And then Chicago and Nashville are a back-to-back on April 18th and 19th. Uh, Good luck on that stretch in February. Yeah, it's going to be busy. It's going to be exciting. Hopefully they win a few games. And I know um, some people were kind of bummed this year. They didn't have have an afternoon game on the schedule. Usually they like to do that. But uh, family day, the 21st against the Jets, a 2 p.m. start. That should be fun for the people like to take the kids to the game. Yeah, usually the Flames have one of those weird Saturday or Sunday 1 p.m. Eastern time starts, which is, you know, breakfast for you guys. Or there's, you know, but they never play well in afternoon games. So I'm kind of happy there weren't a lot of them. But if you got kids and you want to go to a game, you know, if you can get into the arena, that's all well and good. But, uh, you know, people are like, you're going to see a lot of Dan Vladar, I'm sure, because there's no way Jacob Markstrom's going to be playing seven games in 12 days. You're probably going to see a little bit of Michael Stone in there, I would assume. Maybe. Valamaki gets that rare call up where he gets to play, you know, some of the kids because guys are going to be gassed over that stretch, don't you think? Yeah, they're definitely going to have to have a bit of a rotating crop of guys. And I imagine we'll see like some injuries that come just from guys working, getting almost overworked. I think it's like 40 games in the final 80 days of the season. Like we're going to see wear and tear, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, they make the playoffs. Then that's just right back into that as well. So I imagine, like you said, we'll see a lot of guys kind of rotating in and out kind of just as they need rest, and uh, we'll we'll see how they hold up. I know Sutter's talked a few times about already how tight the schedule is going to be down the stretch, and it's just got that much tighter now with uh, these games being fixed in where they could. Yeah, and especially for a team that, you know, has fallen off a little bit and dropped in the standings, mainly because they missed 10 games, so other teams, you know, got the jump on them, and then they had, up until last night, they had lost seven 
and in overtime. So eight really out of their last 10 hadn't been playing well. So, I mean, Calgary's got a lot of work ahead of them to dig themselves out of the hole they put themselves in just by playing poorly over their last 10. Yeah, they're, um, they still got the games in hand. Like I was looking today, even Vegas, who's first in the division, the Flames are still tied points percentage-wise with them. But uh, I think it's like five games in hand, five or six on the California teams who are all two or three points ahead of them. So they're not totally, totally out of it yet. Like they just need to win those games in hand, which we've always talked about over the years, which they never seem to do. But <laughs> they're still in a pretty good spot. Like luckily they kind of were able to absorb that losing streak as long as they can maybe rattle off a few more wins here. But uh, yeah, uh, sooner the better you get this done because man, guys are going to get tired as the season wears on. Now hopping into last night's game, Calgary took care of business. Uh, Panthers team that was the best in the NHL, uh, tied with Tampa, you know, um, the best team in the league, stomped the Flames 6-2 to two in Sunrise on the last road trip. Calgary comes out last night and just takes Florida to the woodshed. 5-1, to one, uh, the Flames looked dominant through that whole game. I thought they played really well in every facet. The power play was great. The penalty kill was fantastic. Sean Monaghan rose from the dead and took a puck and skated, went forehand to backhand, went around somebody, deeped a goalie and scored. Like It was like Monaghan looked like vintage Monaghan out there with Gaudreau. But, I mean, obviously, it's a one-game thing. You know, Maybe it's just update, upping uh, trade value, whatever. But uh, the Flames came out last night and took care of business. I don't know what Sutter said to them, but um, your impressions last night. Well, first of all, I just want to say I was a little bit annoyed, happy as a Flames fan, but a little bit annoyed that I'd spent money on tickets to the Ottawa game, and they just looked like that, like <laughs> they looked like dog water, and then all of a sudden they come out against Florida, you expect them to get killed, and they win 5-1. Um, like you said, I was thrilled with the performance. I thought a lot of guys played very well. Um, I thought they did a good job of once it got to 2-1, it really felt like, okay, is this going to turn? Is this going to end up being 6-2? And because the Panthers were really taking it to them, but full credit to the Flames, they got that power play goal right back and then put it away early in the third. And that's kind of what we've been missing of late is that chance to just kind of put a team away when you have that one or two goal lead heading into the third period. So, yeah, very impressive performance across the board. Top team in the league that was rested and hot coming into the game. So good on the Flames. Yeah, uh, I mean, Florida had, what did I say? I think it was in their four-game winning streak, they scored 25 goals. Um, you know, which was insane. They had, you know, they had their they had two nine goal outbursts, the six goal outburst. They were just playing well. I thought Markstrom was really strong early on in the game. He got some help from a bunch of posts and crossbars later in the game, but um, he looked really solid to start. Looked like he was maybe getting back to that Markstrom we saw earlier in the season. Uh, the much maligned Nikita Zadorov and Erica Branson defensive pairing played really well last night in a game where they needed to step up. Um, all, you know, as a whole, I thought it looked really good last night and secondary scoring was huge last night. We all know, I mean, Kachuk and Gaudreau combined for seven points last night with a goal and six assists, which is just absolutely ridiculous between the two of them. But Monaghan scored, Rasmus Anderson scored, uh, the flames did things they weren't doing on that road trip. So it was nice to see some help for the two big players. Well, um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was nice to see. I thought Coleman, it was nice to see him get on the board too. I don't know whatever it is. Maybe it's the Tampa left in him that he just likes to take it to the Panthers. I think he had that 12-shot game against them on that last road trip. So uh, it was nice to see him and Manjapani and Backlund all on. I thought that trio looked really good, which is something we've been clamoring for, especially after they had Tyler Pitlick in the top six in the previous game. So like, I thought that was a good uh, trio. Top line, good as ever. Johnny Gaudreau, extend him. He's amazing. Pay him all the money. I didn't care more than all the money. I don't know. 
<laughs> go rob a bank if you have to do it. Just whatever you got to do to get him the money because, man, he was just flying four assists, like big parts of all the goals. Like It was just so impressive to see him again last night. And I know we say that every, pretty much every time we talk on here, but it was and just such, of- such a good game. And if you think about it too, he probably should have had a penalty shot in that game too, coming in on the breakaway where they got it in his hands where he was, he was free and clear. So like he was unbelievable. Kachuk's behind the back out of mid air redirection. I mean, he goes through stretches where you like, stop the blind passes, please look when you pass the puck, but then he does something like that. And you're like, he's just so special. Yeah. And I think I said on Twitter, it's if, if McDavid did that move, it'd be all over all the sports networks, all over our Twitter feeds. Like, I think maybe just cause it was like a four, one goal. It kind of got lost a little bit in the hub of everything else. But man, that was probably one of the more amazing goals I've seen by a flame in quite some time, like to deflect that behind him into a top corner from like waist height. Like it's one of those goals that the regular person, like we can't even comprehend like what he actually did to do it, let alone like even try half of what he did. So it was just amazing to see. Yeah, I just watching that whole thing happen. It was just, bleh. and I was talking with one of our writers, Tracy, last night during the game too, and we were having the conversation, which we're going to have now. Where does the money come from for Gaudreau and Kachuk? Like, can the Flames? I mean, if you break it down, all their one-year contracts that they could get rid of, guys they signed this year, like you know the the fourth pairings, you know those guys are all under one-year deals, but they're not making a ton of money. Your big money comes from the the back end on the defense with Zadorov and Goodbranson. And those guys with their big their big deals, um, you know, there's the option that maybe you know somebody will take on Michael Backlund's contract if you could trade him because he's underperforming and looks like maybe you know a change of scenery for him might work. I don't know. Same with Monahan type deal, but like they're gonna get like it's Kachuk's making seven now. Gaudreau's making six five. They've got to be pushing nine at this point easily, right? I mean, where does that? How are you gonna find that money along with let's not forget Andrew Mangiapane and Oliver Shillington. Well, yeah, that's what we have to figure out, and or at least the Flames have to figure out. We don't have to do it, thank goodness, because I really don't envy that job right now going into this offseason. But um, right now, I think they they were still planning for a small increase in the cap this offseason, so I think the Flames will have like 30 to $32 million. And I think, obviously, you have to put it on getting Gaudreau re-signed first. And worst case, I would say Kachuk takes his $9 million qualifying offer. If you can get Gaudreau at nine, that's 18 of the 32. You still have a bit of money left for like uh, Manjapani and Shillington and then rounding out a core. But I was looking today, like if you're looking for money to move, like worst case, worst case for like Sean Monaghan, if he's really not playing well, like he has been earlier in the year, like you buy him out, you save like 4 million there. It kind of sucks. But like, I'm sure you get at something for him somewhere, even if you retain some money. Um Another player you could look at is like Lucic, as much as it sucks to say that. Like, if you get so constrained cap wise, you might be able to find a suitor if you hold a bit of money for him, depending if he'd want to go. Like, only one more year at 5.25 million. I also checked today and he has a $3 million signing bonus due on a yeah. July 1st or whatever the equivalent date's going to be. And so, if you're a team like, I don't know, like, let's just say Arizona or Ottawa, who actually doesn't want to pay real money out but take on a bigger cap hit to get to the floor like that could be an option too of course Lucci still has the no movement clause so that could be a part of it but there there are options for this team I would say 
Yeah, because you look at Pitlick, Richie, Richardson, Lewis, Stone, Goodbranson, Zadorov. They're all in on one-year deals. I did some of the math last night. Uh, that def- all the guys on the defensive end are in for about six million, six plus, give or take. You know, I was rounding up, and then there's a little in four million in your forwards, and that's not even counting Monahan and Backlund if you chose to move them or even Lucic. And I get the, I totally understand. Lucic is one of those contracts when it came in. Remember when the deal happened? It was like, oh my god, we're stuck with Lucic for that kind of money, and now we're like, oh, we got Lucic. That's great, but now we're like. Is it time to move on from Lucic just to save money, even though he's been such a solid performer and probably the de facto without being named captain, right? It's just they're in a weird spot with some of these contracts. Yeah, I personally, I'm not moving on from Lucic unless like you absolutely have to to keep Gaudreau or Kachuk. Like that's pretty much my only way I'd consider. I think he's still been so good and he adds so much that there's really no sense on doing it just to move money for the sake of moving money. But um, the big thing, I guess, for next year will be hopefully they'll have these young guys step up and fill in on their entry level deals and kind of fill in the gaps and hopefully bring in some skill to kind of round out the core at a cheaper price. Because as we're kind of looking at the forward core right now, like there's not really going to be a big ad there, even on the blue line, there's not a ton of room for a big ad there money wise. So we'll, we'll see. I think there is a way to get all four of those guys back, but um, it's not going to leave you much wiggle room when it's all said and done. No, and I think too, like you mentioned it, I agree. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of moving Lucic right now at all. I mean, even if the play declines, just as a leader, a guy out there, he's performing well. I, I've got no problems with his play. Um, you know, and I'm with you on the kids coming up too. At some point, you know, Matthew Phillips needs his shot. Um, Carnazari needs his shot. Uh, Peltier needs his shot. Like these guys need to get a, even Valamaki. Like all these guys need their chance to play. Um, so at some point you can fill in with a couple of those guys and you could also fill in with a couple of veteran plugs, which leads me to my next question out of Pitlick, Richie Richardson, Lewis stone, Gabranson, Zadoroff, all the one year guys. Um, would you, I, would you bring any of those guys back? I know who I would bring back. Maybe you bring two of them back just to kind of fill some holes, but like, is there any of that lot that you like got to have that person or would you be fine with them all walking? Um, like I, I wouldn't be heartbroken if any of the six or seven guys you just named there walked. Uh, I, I would say out of the list of them, the one guy I probably wouldn't mind is like Trevor Lewis. I don't know why. I just think he's been solid and kind of what we expected him to be without like really being too much of a liability. Like Pitlick, I don't mind if he leaves Richie Richardson. I'm fine if all those guys leave, but I, I would say Lewis on the forward core defensively, like Michael Stone, if he signs cheap keep bringing him back as a sixth, seventh defenseman guy. Like I have no issues with that either. But other than that, like if Branson's a door off those other guys, I, I don't mind whatsoever if they leave. Yeah. I would, I, we're pretty much on the same side. I was actually, I would keep two of the defensemen. I, I've, I have no problem with how good Branson's played at all this season. I wouldn't mind him coming back, but it would have to be a lower deal because he makes decent money. And same thing with Michael Stone. Michael Stone's always been a trooper with this team, but who knows? Maybe he doesn't want to come back because he hasn't gotten on the ice at all. You know, so that's, that's a potential issue with with that side of it. But they have some options. And like we said, there are veterans that could be moved. Noah Hannafin's a guy like, you know, if a team's looking for defense, would you be okay with moving on from Noah Hannafin? I, I don't have any problems with Noah Hannafin, but big money contract, maybe you could do that. I mean, I would move on from Noah Hannafin if you were trading for Jacob, Jacob Chikrin on the Coyotes. Like he's just, if he's available and like you have to move someone out to bring him in, I'd bring, I'd, I'd move Hannafin out for him all day. Other than that, though, I don't think I would. Unless you're upgrading the the, the mm-hmm. position by moving him, I wouldn't probably move him. But uh, yeah, no. If you're bringing like a chicken, yeah, I'm all over that. 
Yeah, and I'm honestly, I'm not advocating. I just know a Hannafin like if you're moving him just to get money up, that's a stupid move because now you've handicapped yourself on defense. Yeah, the offense isn't there, but he's a solid defender, so it doesn't. You know, I I have really no problem with that type of setup that they have on defense. Um, Manjapani, um, are the Flames maybe going to get a deal on him just because his play is kind of disappeared a little bit he started off so hot and now he's kind of back down he's playing well but he's not putting the puck in the net um thoughts on him uh, has his play kind of lowered his contract value a little um i wouldn't say as much lowered as kind of brought it back to closer than what it should have been like his if i was his agent at the start of the year i probably been calling brad she living every day asking him to like let's sit down and hammer this out and obviously tree living knows what he's doing he he wouldn't sign a guy at, who's scoring at a goal per game pace as he was early in the season there so i don't i guess his agent was out uh about i think last week and was talking about how they're kind of looking for a shorter term deal to give him a couple different chances to chant to cash in if he keeps kind of improving his play year over year but uh no i would just say the stretch has probably brought his contract down to more like what he realistically is but it could it could just as easily go back up so i'm not you, with Manchapani, at least right now, if you're negotiating, you're looking at like the long-term contract. You're kind of looking at the long-term value. So I don't think a few games, good or bad, are going to really influence it too much. But if it's a short-term deal, it totally could. Fair enough. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that covers our Flames talk for the first half of the podcast. You know, we got we got our Johnny Gaudreau love fest in, which we always do, just because every day he just seems to get more and more. Him, he's tied with uh, Brad Marchand for tenth in the league in points at this. He's just, he's just. I don't know. It's I, I don't have any words for him. He's just amazing. And yes, all of the money should go to Mr. Goudreau if Mr. Goudreau wants all of the money. We're going to take a quick break here on Michael, Mark and Michael's Musings. When we come back, we're going to talk about Leon Dreisaitl and why he's so pissy. And then we'll look at the NFL recap from last weekend and what's happening this weekend in the NFL. We will be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back to Mark and Michael's Musings, the Matchsticks and Gasoline Podcast. Flames talk out of the way. Leon Dreisaitl does not like answering questions about the one thing that's wrong with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, this kind of went 50-50. People either loved his answer or they hated his answer. As somebody who is a media member, the question is a classic media member. It's like you're going to poke the bear. You want the answer. You're going to get him upset. I don't really agree with the response of asking him why he's so pissy. Now you've made it a personal thing with you. Um, I don't know how any of these guys would ever sit down in Foxborough and listen to Bill Belichick in a press conference who says absolutely nothing to anybody about anything. Um, but at the same time, should Dreisaitl maybe have been a little more forthcoming in his answer? The Oilers aren't playing well, and he is one of their best players, so he's in the spotlight. I mean, yeah, it's it's like you said, poking the bear. Like, what do you kind of expect when you ask that question? Like, he's it's one of those things that I don't blame him for being frustrated or uh, pissy, I guess. But I I don't know. It always seems like every year, especially when the Oilers are in a slump, we get this same kind of story out of Edmonton. It's not always dry, so it's always somebody different. But like, it kind of leads you to think like if if you're getting this, it seems like almost every year. Then maybe it's not the players that are the issue. It's uh. The, the the Edmonton media is already pretty like reviled by a lot of their fan base and players. So I don't know for this one instance, I think you could kind of 
do a bit of a 50-50 on it. But when it's an issue that keeps coming up, I don't think you can put it on the players as much as it is the media up there. Yeah, there's only so many times a player, what's going to be like, yeah, we suck. What do you want me to say? You know, it's like, it only, I mean, a guy like Lucic definitely won't sugarcoat it. If you asked him that question, he'd be like, yeah, we play terrible. We're garbage. We got to be better. You know, but even like, it even goes back to McDavid last week when they were talking about Evander Kane. And he's like, yeah, like he was fine with Evander Kane. And people lost their minds over the, you know, the captain in the face of the franchise being okay with bringing, you know, potentially bringing in Evander Kane. Um, so it hasn't been exactly the uh, easiest seven to 10 days for the uh, Edmonton Oilers in their two best players in the media, but um, I'm kind of with you on the dry sidle thing. There's only so many times a player can sit there and answer the question of, and, and how hard is it for a player to pinpoint one thing that's wrong with your team? You know, obviously when you're in a losing streak like they are and they're struggling, it's way more than one thing. I mean, what's he going to do? Throw Mike Smith, you know, under the bus? Is he going to throw goaltending? Is he going to throw Tippett under the bus? There's only, there's only so much you can do. I mean, yeah, the media is probably waiting for that to happen because after Tippett threw Koskinen under the bus uh, last week, I'm sure they're waiting for there, There's juicy headlines coming out right now. And uh, I mean, it's their job to get the juicy headlines. So I don't blame him necessarily for asking the questions, but it, it's just one of those things that's you don't need to go quite that far with it. Like what? Like these guys aren't happy that they're losing as much as they are. And uh but yeah, no. Uh, he he's got he's got to do his job. He still try got to get the clicks for with the headlines with the juicy articles. So I don't know. It's it's a messy thing, and it seems like we get way too much of it out of Edmonton. So uh, I don't want to get too much further into it, other than just saying like it it seems to happen way more there than anywhere else. Yeah, it's just a shame that Calgary doesn't have a beat writer who's like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right moving on the nfl last weekend was wild card weekend uh i think you and i both did pretty well with our picks going back and forth uh the bengals took down the raiders 26 19 in a really weird game where as a former football official folks when the whistle blows in the middle of a play the play is dead that play does not happen you go back to where the ball was snapped and you replay the down i don't buy all this nonsense i watched that replay 175 times with the audio that whistle blew when that throw was in the middle of the air that never should have been a touchdown at least on that play but uh, the raiders didn't, didn't play well enough um bengals beat the raiders 26 uh, to 19 any thoughts on that play or uh that game yeah, I'm I'm with you on it. I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to set a precedent for it. If if you're going to let a lot of plays go after a whistle is blown, whether or not it's correct, like where does it kind of stop? What's the time frame where you let something still go on if it happened a second after the whistle, two seconds? Like yeah. it was pretty bang bang, like you said, like the ball is in the air. But like, where's the where's the cutoff if you kind of let something like that slide? Because the next team that maybe doesn't get allowed to say, "Oh, the Bengals got it," and that was only. It, it was less than half a second probably between when the ball is in the air, when the guy caught it. So like, I could kind of see how they let it slide, but it, it's kind of a dangerous precedent. Like I said, if you kind of just let these plays slide a bit, like, like you said, under the rules should be a dead ball. It's too bad if it was in the air, replay the down is probably yeah. where I would have landed with it. And also the thing that blew my mind is the official, the, the linesman or line judge on that side of the field side judge. Um, it was like staring at, staring at, uh, what's his name joe burrow's feet and burrow was like two feet from being out of bounds it wasn't even close so that was just i think that just kind of play the cut in somebody's head uh buffalo bills trounced the new england patriots 47 to 17 in a game that was minus six degrees with the wind chill not as cold as it was predicted to be but uh what did josh allen and the bills really take it to mac jones and the patriots which is a which is a shame now now i don't root for the bills anymore but um any thoughts on that game because i i just love what i saw out of buffalo in that game 
Yeah, they looked just dominant start to finish, and uh, good on them. Good for the Bills fans getting a nice uh, home playoff win, and I think it was it was in the teens somewhere for the temperature. Like, good on yeah. them, and they they look like a wagon now uh, going into the play going into the next round here. And I I don't know if I'd want to be a team facing them right now. No, especially when you've got a quarterback that's bigger than some linebackers in the NFL when he gets out into the open. So uh, my only other thought from that game is like, I wonder when Mac Jones is going to do something wrong. Um, and I'm not one of those people that listens to a game and is like the announcers are ruining the game for me because I could care less. Like the guys calling the game doesn't influence how the game is going on the field. But at some point, someone needs to be like, dude, Mac Jones sucked today. Like it just has to happen. But every time something happens wrong to Mac Jones, it's like, oh, well, you know, the receiver might have been out of position or this happened, this happened. You know, guys, it's OK. You can say Mac Jones had a crappy game every now and then. It's really not a big deal. Uh, moving on. Um, do you want to skip over Bucks Eagles and just go right to mm. the next game? Mm. <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took down Michael's Eagles 31 to 15 Cowboys and Niners 23 17 in a game that I watched that I went this might be one of the most boring games I've ever seen just didn't really have anything for me in it uh Garoppolo versus Dak Prescott uh, the only thing I'm kind of excited is Mike McDaniel's interviewing today potentially for the Dolphins head coaching position outside of that I didn't really have much from that game yeah, I I was also watching it off and on. Uh, I was texting Gordy back and forth during the game, who's a big Niners fan, also a writer and on our other podcast pretty often. Um, it was one. It was a weird game because San Francisco got so far in front that it wasn't really that enticing to watch. But then you saw Dallas chipping away, chipping away, and of course San Francisco's coach is uh, Kyle Shanahan, who is a uh, not the greatest with holding on to big leads, like we saw in the uh, when he was back with the Falcons as the offensive coordinator there. So. Yep. I I don't know. I, I still find it as an Eagles fan hilarious how Dallas blew that game by running a 15-yard quarterback sneak with 14 seconds left and no timeouts. Like that is that's that's gonna be one of those plays that you that people still talk about in 25 years, especially when they had all the momentum driving down the field there and they were getting 10 to 15 yards by doing quick outs the whole way down the field to do that play. Yeah. Especially I, I, when you know yeah. the umpire has to touch the ball and set the ball on every play. So it's like you gave yourself no time. You know, like yeah. you, you get tackled, the umpire has to come in and set the ball. That's just the rule. That's the way it works. So um, the Chiefs absolutely destroy the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, double them up 42 to 21, possibly. Um, I don't really pay attention much. The Dolphins are done. But, you know, is this the end for Big Ben? Who knows? Um, and the Rams, 34 to 11, send the Arizona Cardinals home. I'm happy for Matthew Stafford gets a little taste of playoff football. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, from here on out um, your divisional games coming up this weekend Saturday we got the Tennessee Titans and the Cincinnati Bengals um, I, have you heard anything is is Derrick Henry definitely coming back yet I know he was supposed to be coming back like uh, I haven't heard a definite but I think so um, yeah. he's practicing so he's got that yeah. going for him yeah I'm at, if he's back I think you have to give the edge to Tennessee but like like I, like we said Cincinnati looked really good in that win last week and I don't know. Some sometimes even just that week off when you're not when you're not a clearly superior football team. Like I I don't know. I might just ride the hot hand with the Bengals here. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm that I'm that guy that I'm I'm all in on Tennessee the whole rest of the way. It's like it's like Ryan Tannehill's my ex girlfriend and I just can't let her go. <laughs> I just can't. I just I I love I absolutely love Ryan Tannehill. So I'm I'm all in on the Titans. Packers Niners. Uh, Gordy, I love you, but I think Aaron Rodgers and his unvaccinated arm and long hair and Memes are sending the 49ers home this week, and I think the Packers are just too good. How about you? Yeah, I think the same thing. I think I, I just don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo to win more than one playoff game, and I think if the Packers just show up and play a good game, like I thought if the Cowboys had just not 
completely shot themselves in the foot against the Niners. They probably should have won that game. And then I think the Packers just right now are too good. I think Rodgers is going to take another crack at getting another Super Bowl. And I think, unfortunately, this is the end of the road for San Fran. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Tampa Bay and L.A., the Rams and Bucks. that could be a pretty good game, depending on how it goes. Like, Are you going to end up with you know Tampa's defense shutting down the Rams' offense, or is that going to end up in a shootout between Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford? I mean, did you ever think you would say that sentence, the Matthew Stafford-led L.A. Rams against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? It's it's a weird world we live in. Um, yeah, I, I'm really torn on that game, too, because like you kind of see how they match up, and it seems like it should be it's definitely a coin flip game. Like the, it's like, do you want to take the Rams who look like a really good team right now? Or do you want to take, or do you want to get bet against Tom Brady in the playoffs? Like it's, you don't really have a win-win bet right now, but uh, I think I got to stick with the bucks. I think um, they have some injuries, but I still think uh, they're getting, some of their guys are getting healthier. And I think I, I just can't bring, I don't have full faith in the Rams. Like they're a good team, but there's just something from watching them over the last four or five weeks of the season. That I just, can't fully get behind yet whether it's Stafford or it's the team so I think I gotta take uh, Tom Brady to make another conference championship yeah I'm kind of with you unfortunately and I think the league is salivating at the idea of Brady going up against Aaron Rodgers um you know they have to be final game on Sunday is a 6 30 Eastern time start that's the Bills and Chiefs um honestly probably might be the best game of the weekend uh two high-powered offenses two good defenses uh you know, one quarterback that's already won a Super Bowl, another quarterback who's up and coming. Uh, it's in Kansas City, very loud, very big stadium, always a tough place to play. But um, it's not like the Bills play in a tiny stadium with uh, 85 tropical degree weather either. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, both teams have played some pretty good football, especially Kansas City, who started off really poorly. They've really pulled it all together, especially on their defense. So I don't know if I think as much as I said Tampa Bay LA was a coin flip, like, I think this is even more so because. For whatever reason, I almost trust the Bills roster a bit more, but I just think the Chiefs have that big game capability where they will be able to pull it out, especially at at uh, they're on, on or on the home field. Like I think they're going to play a solid game. They they ran over the Steelers last week. I think they should. I think they win like a game that comes down to four points or less. Like it's going to be a close game, but and I think it's whoever has the ball last. I think is going to have a chance to win the game and. Uh, We'll see, but I, I'll give the edge to the Chiefs. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm all over the Bills now. I could care less about them. They just took care of the Patriots. Now someone dumped the Bills. That's it. Although, uh, no offense if we have any Buffalo listeners out here, I, I would love to see the Bills go back and lose a fifth Super Bowl. I just, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. So, so it's that. To but, Tom um, Brady yeah. or no? <sighs> like let's say what if we what if we get a bills buccaneer super bowl where, where's your rooting interest gonna lie it's gotta be it's gotta be tampa because i the, the bills just can't win a super bowl before the dolphins do that's just how i look at it it's, it's, it just can't happen so or more recent super bowl it just can't happen so i mean the, there was a post the other day that said hey you know when was you know when was the last time your professional teams you root for won a how old were you when i was like oh i was 13 with the flames i was 40 was like 40, I don't know, 40 something when the the Cubs won. And I was like, it was negative three the last time the Dolphins won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've been waiting a while. And I just can't, I can't have the Patriots winning a Super Bowl, the Jets going to an AFC championship, and then the Bills winning a Super Bowl. And Miami just being like, yeah, we're undefeated in 72. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got that going. So um, anything else you want to, you want to, anything else you want to get off your chest? Anything you want to talk about before we get out of here? Um. 
Jeez, I don't have a ton, but uh, no. Once again, Jacob Pelche and Matthew Phillips, give them an NHL shot, please. Yeah, yeah. Daryl, let's get some of these guys up here because you're going to need them come the month of February. Uh, once that calendar flips, the Flames are in like full-on overdrive. So, um, all right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find us on Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. Just search match, search, ugh, search up Matchsticks and Gasoline, and you can find this episode, past episodes of Mark and Michael's Musings, past episodes of The Tinderbox, and past episodes of Behind Enemy Lines. Michael, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have another update next week on the Flames, and we'll dwindle down our NFL picks as they come along. Pretty soon we'll be talking spring training baseball. Who's excited? (laughs) We will catch you next time (laughs) on Mark and Michael's Musings.